welcome listener. This is Louis, host of The Cove, the podcast where we go deep with crypto builders along the path to 100 million daily signers. Today, I'm pleased to release a new episode of The Cove, which is a bit different than what you're used to. I'm calling it Portside, where we go into town, collect the latest Solana news and big headlines and pack them into a digestible podcast. We'll be releasing a new Portside episode every two weeks on Fridays. Don't worry, uh, this new format is not intended to replace the regular interviews, but as a supplement. Please do tell us what you think on Twitter. And now a word about Streamflow. Streamflow is hassle-free on-chain token operations using money streams. Stop using an Excel sheet and start using Streamflow for automated token vesting and payroll. Streamflow is the market leader on Solana. Twice audited with over 500 million in TVL, 37,000 plus streams created and 40 plus clients, including outstanding teams like Raindrops, Hubble, Jungle DeFi, Heavenland, Genopets, and the list goes on. To set up hassle-free vesting contracts and automated payroll, head over to streamflow.finance and get started today. I am very excited for the inaugural episode of Portside, a new bi-weekly update of what's happening in the Solano world which we're going to be testing at The Cove. Uh, today, I've got Andy from Streamflow on to chat about what's been happening in the last couple of weeks in the world of Solana. It's been a busy couple of weeks, so there's quite a bit to go through. How's it going, Andy? Doing good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. So this, this is going to be like a casual catch-up where we're going to go over some of the key points. There's been so much news to keep track of. I think most people have trouble. It's a bit overwhelming. So here, we're just going to take a, take a dive in and see what's really st stood out to us. So kicking things off, like it's obviously been a wild kind of since breakpoint. It's been a bit of a wild time in the world of Solana. Uh, so this week, like checking the, the Solana price, we can see that we're at 1354 uh, as of this recording, down minus 7.2% on the weekly. Uh, things are grim, but fairly level, would you say, Andy? Yeah, you know, I think that the shock of the moment has kind of faded. And at this point, it's, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm actually surprised we didn't have more apathy from the event, uh, everything that happened between SPF, FTX, the fear about the looming DCG crisis that looks like it's overhead. At this point, um, you know, I've talked to probably a couple dozen builders over the last few weeks. And there's been maybe two projects that have really been uh, severely, severely impacted. Everybody else, it's more like we've been shaken. But if anything, I found it's really kind of put people into high gear to be more tuned into how to confirm the product market fit, really reassessing exactly what are they doing and why are they doing it. And at the same time, it's, I don't know, I've seen a lot more collaboration than I'm used to. So it's one of those things that's like, We've already got a strong system, but I was kind of concerned when this all happened that it might be a fracturing event. And if anything, it's it seems to have brought us together. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned that you've talked to like, I think you said 20 or 30 builders. Could you just give us like real briefly before we jump into the the, the updates, could you give us a brief background around yourself and uh, sort of your position? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I guess always good with web three to say how we got into crypto um, i came in in the 2021 post bitcoin pump wave uh went pretty hard into just shameless degen pump chasing uh lost my shirt a few times and it was like hey this isn't fun i think i'll get into nfts so then i lost my shirt there and <laughs> <laughs> so after you lost after you lost your shirt you were like huh let me get into nfts <laughs> yep yep so it was one of those things where you know make a lot of money lose more money make a lot of money and eventually i found a um found a stride a passion for um, algorithmic trading i thought that was a lot of fun using systems and, and, and calculations to get an edge and that led me into data from there, I found I could finally start to get consistent uh, gains from what I was doing by understanding how the markets worked and how they moved. This led me down a deep rabbit trail of finding out what's the most efficient way to aggregate and uh, take action on different types of blockchain data. And of course, that eventually led me into Solana. I originally started off looking at Polkadot. Uh, I thought it was pretty cool to go with a interoperable type um, environment. 
at the same time, after about, I'd say six to eight months working the Polkadot ecosystem, the pace there is just, uh, it, it's different. It, it's very slow compared to Solana. Well, when I looked over at Solana, it was almost like, I don't know, imagine you're on a, you're, you're on a catamaran and you've got you and some of your golf buddies, you're having a good time, but then you look over and there's a party boat right next to you with, you know, 20 beautiful girls and then, and banging music. And it's like, you know, I kind of want to go over there. So eventually I came into Solana. Uh, currently I do business development with the Streamflow team. Of course, you're working there on the product side of things. I found a lot of interest there and in being able to support projects on one of the most fundamental elements, which is uh, token distributions and doing so securely. Obviously with SBF, FTX, everything crashing, it's so important. Keep things on chain, keep, make sure you control wherever your tokens are at. And at this stage is something where I spend most of my time uh, coordinating with different projects, understanding what are they trying to do in terms of airdrops, token distributions, token vesting, multi-sig, how to keep themselves safe. And as of right now, looking at a uh, campaign where we can bring everybody together and talk about what have we learned this year, what achievements have we made, and what are we excited for coming up in the next year? So it's been a very active time in understanding what different projects are going through and seeing not only what problems are they facing, but surprisingly, there's, there's so many good bullish things that are happening, some of which we'll talk about now that unfortunately, it's getting shadowed by this, uh, by the shade we have over us. Yeah, hundred percent. And that brings us back to, back to the, the, the price topic we started with. Uh, so the price it's fairly stable uh, in crypto, in crypto land, you know, uh, compared to two weeks ago, like we, we seem to be hovering between 13 and 15. Um, but indeed, you know, the, the sentiment on Twitter, for example, is pretty negative in the general crypto uh, ecosystem. But I, I would accord with you there where like, if you're really deep in Solana, uh, the the conversations happening are really interesting conversations, and I feel like the community is really uh, taking taking a more introspective uh, approach right now, and really like figuring out the best way forward. But in I, I would say quite a constructive way. It's not been nice to see, and um, we'll, we'll we'll go to some examples uh, today on on that topic. Um, with regard to transactions, uh, I'm taking a look at Goku's stats. Uh, and actually totally retweeted this yesterday. Uh, it looks like Solana is still, you know, very, very dominant in terms of the, the total number of transactions a, against other blockchains. So we've got here 529,000 transactions on the day of the 30th of November. And that's against Ethereum with 400,000 roughly, Polygon with 350. I think Polygon has actually grown pretty nicely in the last months. It's, it's good to see for them. Uh, and then Nia, 54k avalanche 43 and aptos 23 so this is something that i think a lot of general users are not aware of just how many transactions solana is actually pumping out every day um and that's that's against you know the the the, the classic like sq lana or like it turns off all the time but actually you know it we're processing by far the most number of transactions versus any other relevant chain you know, what's, uh, what's interesting about the Solana transaction volume as well is I, I, I often see some FUD of people describing, oh, well, that's not the real number of transactions. It includes votes or it includes other you know, non-real stuff. And the fact is, this, this is after the votes have been removed. So to take a look exactly. at you know, we're talking about price and thinking about where are we really at right now, Solana is doing more transaction volume <laughs> than Ethereum but it's an 18th of the price at the moment. It's one of those situations yeah. that um, at, at some point we're going to be seeing some, I, I don't think that Solana is 18 times worse than Ethereum. Like, let's just say that from a no. uh, valuation standpoint or, or value creation standpoint. No, no. Yeah, I, I, I would absolutely agree with you there. And the thing is like, Though having those super affordable transactions, like people say, yeah, it's a ghost chain. Yeah, like the, the, the vote transactions are um, a problem. As you said, the vote transactions are removed from that number. Uh, and I think it's just like when the fees are so low as a user, it really just unlocks more use cases where you're just comfortable. Like I was thinking a couple of days ago, I was rebalancing some wallets and I was selling like, you know, 30 cents of random tokens I had. And I think on, a, on some other chains, you wouldn't bother doing that because it's not worth it for fees. But when the fees are so negligible, 
it you can really kind of do whichever transactions make sense. Like, and, and in that case, yeah, selling super cheap transactions or like shifting all your NFTs to a new address to, you know, have like hygienic wallet separation or something like all these things are just easy on Solana. So this is, I think one, one really big bonus of, um, and, and one reason why I do think that those transaction numbers are quite high. It's true that I think like something that you'll hear from Ethereum folks is that, you know, the actual value being, um, transmitted across those transactions is is lower um, than than on Ethereum, for example. Sure. I don't have data there, but I just I do believe that it's it's quite likely that people do smaller transactions on Solana, purely because the transactions are so affordable uh, because and you so can. fast and Absolutely. easy. Absolutely, yeah, because you can. Why would you not? Okay, so that's that's a look at the the transactions uh, this week. Nice to see that the network is holding up and actually like getting you know, improving in terms of the number of TPS it's able to. Process. I mean, that was one of those things that I was uh, holding my breath for most of November thinking, please do not let there be an outage with everything that's happening. And if you think about the amount of volume, the amount of chaos, the, the network held strong. Yeah, it held strong. And we had a really big, a couple of big NFT launches. We had Clanosaurus recently, mm -hmm. which was a big, big launch. Uh, they sold out, I think, in three minutes, or at least the first tranche. Uh, we also had Lily selling out in, I think, 10 or 20 minutes uh, a, a couple of weeks back uh, without any issues. I would say, like, the NFT minting situation is, is a solved problem on Solana. It was a big issue early on with mints going down, causing issues. But, you know, with the improvements that Metaplex has put out, it seems like mints are running smoothly these days and they don't seem to cause uh, issues. I mean, this is what a, a beta test is for. We can find out what problems come up, what you know issues do people take advantage of, and then we build patches, we build fixes for it. And I think when we look at Solana as what it is, which is it, 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 it's in that beta stage where we can test things out, try different things. It kind of goes to that cheaper, cheaper gas fees and faster transactions. People can do more exploration. They can try more ambitious things and when it comes to NFTs, it's just there's so much. I mean, I, I saw one, one project I was talking to. I don't know if I can mention their name. It's uh, something they're working on behind the scenes, but they're looking at how to expand outwards from you know, 5,000, 10,000 type NFT numbers. And how can you get into hundreds of thousands, if not millions of different variations and have some type of not only composability or uh, ability to make customizations, but to create a marketplace of these customizations. And that would just be obscene on, on Ethereum. <laughs> it would be very challenging. Yeah. On Polygon, they are doing some interesting things, but even there, it's that's a lot of volume to try to handle. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest example I'm aware of was the GMers uh, NFT project, and they had 50K NFTs, uh, which was pretty big. That was a, a couple months ago, I think. Uh, yeah, indeed. It's, um, yeah, it's worth keeping an eye on. I, I think one other thing to consider is like, when you look at Ethereum, it's a very mature network. It's been around for a number of years longer than Solana. So one thing to ask yourself is how does Solana look at the same level of maturity as Ethereum? Ethereum's hit a certain point where they've they've gone proof of stake. They've added uh, rollups now. Um, but like, yeah, I'm very excited to see how Solana looks once it reaches that level of maturity. And the the talk from uh, Tolly at Breakpoint was really indicative of that. Uh, of some of the cool things that are lined up, and I definitely encourage you to check out check out that that talk. It was like the the past and future of Solana. It's a really really good talk to watch. Uh, let's move on and chat a bit about kind of the man of the hour or the elephant in the room, so to say, uh, SBF. So you know he kind of I, I don't know if I can say he started this latest um, catastrophic period, but he had a big a big part in it. It seems like it's a bit of a, a a number of dominoes falling over and he was sort of the most recent one to fall over. Um, can you give us a bit of details on like uh, the, the latest with SBF, what's been happening on Twitter? To, to, be, to be frank, it's been a bit of a shit show. I mean, the fact is that a month ago, two months ago, this was the white knight altruistic billionaire of you know, spearheading crypto on uh, in, in Washington, D.C. And now he is one of the most hated men and is allegedly broke. It's something that, unfortunately, um, there's so much there's so much uncertainty around what's happening. And when it comes to everyone's got an opinion on why did this happen, what's really going on, how much money did they have, where did that money go, and 
In fact, yesterday there was a, it goes like two hours and 45 minutes or just something obscene of a Twitter space where they had him. And I, I couldn't endure the whole thing, but um, I, I did listen to a little bit more than half of it. And I compared that to his interview with, I forgot the gal's name, but um, you know, he had the, the, one of the first interviews. Yeah, I think her name was Miss Wong or something. Um, and then on top of that, of course, him at New York Times. And it's like, you go from reading the bankruptcy documents and seeing <laughs> what they're discovering. But then if you hear Sam, it, it sounds like a, a totally different thing. You know, someone from MIT that was working on Wall Street all of a sudden has an $8 billion whoopsies. It's, I think these are the things that we would never really have access to in the age before Twitter and when there wasn't a crypto, a CT hive mind that is tracking every single transaction. And at the moment, it's one of those things I think that um, we're not even going to know the full story for a while. SBF, I don't, I don't personally think that he's being uh, honest in what's happening. I think he's chosen a narrative of ignorance that he just, he just didn't know what was happening. A couple billion dollars moved in the company he was running and uh, who, he, he had no idea what was going on. And I don't know how long he can hold that front up, but when peeling back the layers of politics and regulation and the back end deals, it's, I think we're going to continue get, making discoveries for a while. At this stage, I'm just sitting back and getting, grabbing some popcorn because it is not much else that can be done. Yeah. He's, he's proven himself to be quite good at like dodging the question and like reframing the question. Um, and he seems to be going with an approach of like, I, I, I screwed up. I wasn't aware, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe there'll be a narrative of like, there was a few bad apples at some point where, where they'll try and deflect the blame, but it, it's just a very, like, it was a similar thing with Suzu as well. Uh, and, and Do Kwan where, where like something really catastrophic takes place. And then it seems like nothing essentially happens after and that person just continues to pop on podcasts and shows and in the news and it's like it's i think a lot of people are collectively just kind of confused like how is it that the you know tornado developer is immediately in jail or immediately you know uh, locked up but then these people who have much more uh, negative effects on the arguably much more negative effects on the on the ecosystem on the economy on many people's uh, personal funding funds seem to, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't seem to catch up with them very quickly. So one example we have here is Maxine Waters, who I guess is a part of the US House Committee on Financial Services. She's saying on Twitter, we appreciate that you've been candid in your discussions about what's happened at FTX. Your willingness, your willingness to talk to the public will help the company's customers, investors, and others. And to that end, we would welcome your participation in our hearing on the 13th. So sounds pretty friendly, pretty polite, pretty, you know, we would welcome you. It's um, strange to read, honestly. And DC investor comes back and says, what are you doing, Maxine? You sound obsequious and I don't believe you understand how bad this looks. Subpoena SBF and demand that he appear before Congress to explain what happened. Uh, and if you look at the other Twitter responses to that, to Maxine Waters tweet, it is like a collective sort of fury from, from crypto Twitter. Um, so it's, I think the most interesting thing here or one interesting facet is just the different the difference in the portrayal in the regular media or the mainstream media whatever you want to call it versus like very crypto literate communities yeah. it's been a completely different take well that's one of the things where i unfortunately i do have the bias towards crypto twitter where i i don't know what the regular world out there is, is talking about i i know that this situation was big enough that my mother who is about as detached from crypto and finances in general as it can be uh she heard about spf and the collapse and you know this made off level event and um, it, it seems like there's definitely word getting out there but uh, I think where my concern comes in is that if this narrative is able to be pushed, that he just he just didn't know. There's a couple of bad apples, mm. just a couple of whoopsies in the accounting. Uh, I don't want to believe that he can get away with stealing yeah. millions of dollars. But given the track record, I can't say I would be surprised at this point. And that's the strangest thing, like I said, about tornado devs. Or, I mean, it's it's it's. <laughs> It's still something where there's so much uncertainty about crypto in general. And unfortunately now, P 
people think of Sam Bankman-Fried when they think of crypto, um, to the detriment of our entire industry. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Okay, yeah, we'll have to watch that one and keep an eye on it and see how it how it progresses. Uh, moving on, we had another headline this week: Apple taxing thirty percent of gas fees on uh, the Coinbase wallet, I believe, for NFT transfers. Uh, we have a tweet from Tim Sweeney from Epic. Uh, some people may remember that Epic has had, has been at, at a bit of a war with Apple for some time over the uh, the Apple tax uh, in regards to their Epic Games application and Fortnite. So he says, if they can lawfully add 30% Apple tax to all NFT transactions, then they can lawfully add a 30% tax to all online banking and stock trading transaction. The App Store monopoly is seizing control of the American economy. Apple must be stopped. And now the way that this ties to Solana is of course, because we have Saga, the Saga phone coming out in a couple of months, my sources tell me. Um, and so, and the, the Saga will have the Solana mobile stack, which also includes the Dapp store, uh, which is not going to take any fees on any transactions on any apps in that app store, Dapp store. Uh, so totally tweeted out like the free avatar, or, you know, the free advertising continues or something for, for the saga. Any thoughts here? Yeah, well, it's, <clears throat> I'm, I'm honestly a, a bit, a bit shocked and, and, and proud that, and not just Anatoly, but the entire uh, core Solana team, the investors, the stakeholders came together to put this through. Because when I first heard about the phone, I was actually also in the camp of thinking that sounds like a distraction from figuring out how to make sure the network doesn't keep having outages. Um, but, but looking at it now, of course, it's one of those things of why I think a lot of us in Solana have a respect and an appreciation with this chain is that we know there are some people that they have experience. They're, they're, they're engineers, gigabrains, as I like to call them, that this is their space, this is what they know. The fact that they managed to come together with a lean, mean team put together a, a, a strong, I mean, I, I got to play with Asaga and Breakpoint and it's, it, it, it's a flagship device. Like I, I, I would happily rock that thing. Uh, that's the same as I do my Galaxy. But the, to have the foresight to make that move, I wouldn't be surprised if something like the Saga, and I say something like, because I, I believe there'll be other iterations over this next year or two years, you know, things are going to continue to transform. I think it can be an actual formidable foe against the, you know, Google versus Apple, uh, I don't know what to call that, a, a duopoly, I guess, where it's, it's basically the two of them that own the vast majority of the market and uh, Google through Android, of course, which then is Samsung and basically everything else, and then Apple. And that really makes me wonder where if, if crypto is going to have a bit of a black eye for a bit, we're, we're bruised up after 2022 in general between Luna, SBF, everything that's happened. It, it, it makes me have a ray of hope to think that well, I was there whenever Flappy Birds came out and all of a sudden you just had this wave of, of millions of applications of just the most random stuff. And most of it was absolutely useless and no one used these applications. But, but that period of time is what led to what we now know is the age that we exist mostly on our phones. So I, I can't help but wonder if we're actually seeing the early stages of a similar transition where we might be seeing another take on how it's not just an app, it's not just you know, a DeFi application or something, but something entirely different where we can have a new wave of creativity without the, you know, it's not just the Apple tax of 30%, but let's talk about Google and YouTube and the way they censor videos, the way that a creator, they can't just say what they want to without this stuff being taken down. You know, now Elon has got uh, Twitter, so thank goodness we can have freedom of speech over there. But I think it's something where we really have a shot that crypto as a whole can have a, um, a use case beyond just the payment side of things, but it's a use case of creating free communication. Yeah, 100%. I would say like to, to put it really simply, um, crypto doesn't get mainstream adoption without mobile. Like it's, it's key for, for mainstream adoption. And as we've just seen in the last year, um, you know, mainstream crypto adoption using centralized exchanges is also not going to work. So it needs to be decentralized mainstream crypto adoption. And that has to happen through mobile. And this is, you say whatever you want about it. 
at least it's a first, a really solid first effort towards it. And I don't see anyone else actually making this effort. Um, you know, yeah. Polygon had some agreement, Ethereum has some mobile push, but this is like a really clear device designed for crypto users, heavy crypto users. And you got to start with the heavy users. You can't start with a hundred dollar phone for your grandma. Like you, you start with the users who already use crypto and you build out from there. And so of course it's a flat, it's an expensive device that people who are playing on NFTs and making lots of money, they can afford a flagship device and the convenience of having all that, that crypto native, um, you have the seed vault, which allows you to have essentially a hardware wallet on your phone. Um, you know, there's arguments about it being slightly less secure, but essentially for, you know, unless you're managing millions, perhaps it makes sense as a, as a wallet, as a hardware wallet. And then you have the, the Solana mobile stack, which is going to have like a mobile wallet adapter, which is like, basically, um, it's as if you're paying with Google pay or Apple pay It's that kind of easy experience, that kind of slick UX. Uh, and then you have the DAP store. Uh, so it, yeah, it's very exciting. And I think, um, if, if Apple continues in this direction, if the other big players continue in this, in this direction, it opens up a really nice small niche for the saga to build out of. Well, you know, I was curious on your take on um, not, not just the phone itself, but the overall experience on a phone from a, I guess, more product design user adoption standpoint. I'm wondering, because there's such a standardization across, of course, the Apple ecosystem, it's, it's everything is very consistent, um, beautifully so. And across Android, there's a very tangible, specific Android feel. Do you think it's something that Solana and the Saga phone and whatever other competitive and another, and I welcome it, but other crypto type devices, do you think they're going to be following the same path of the UX we currently have? Or do you think we'll start to see a bit of a transformation because the use case of these devices are a little bit different? This is a really good question. I mean, initially on Solana, we had these like copycat designs that were using the Solana branding, uh, which we've moved out of, thankfully. And also on the Ethereum side, there was, I think, a kind of playful, playful UX design, a playful approach uh, that was a, a bit experimentive. For example, you had Curve, which I never understood that interface, but a lot of people liked it. You had Uniswap managing billions of dollars uh, and then having like unicorns and bright colors. You had SushiSwap with this like food design. So, I mean, you had like some different kind of more playful approaches. My expectation is that wherever there's like hurdles, like UX hurdles that are unique to crypto, we will need to find unique solutions. Um, but I would expect like broadly the UX to be, you know, roughly the same or a slight evolution on existing UX. And I would actually say like crypto apps and websites could probably take more from web two than they do in terms of making users feel comfortable. Yeah. I'm excited to see it. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, which actually brings us dovetails us nicely to the next topic, speaking about web two. So Stripe have introduced a new fiat to crypto on ramp, uh, which apparently is an absolute breeze to use. Maybe you could even have the GPT three do it for you. But we'll chat more about that later. So in the list of teams that, that were part of the announcement of the rollout with Stripe, we have Audius XNFT uh, backpack, the backpack wallet from the Coral team. We have Fast AF, Fractal, Glow Wallet, Magic Eden, Magic Labs, Orca, Otter Finance, Spot Wallet, and Ultimate Money. I believe like 70% of those projects are on Solana, which to me just goes to show that Solana projects are focused on getting users and not navel, navel gazing other chains. What do you, what's your take? Yeah, well, what's what's really exciting about this Stripe, um, the Stripe update is that n number one, looking at the blog article from Stripe, they mentioned these projects directly in their article, which as a from, from, from purely a, a brand management standpoint, that that's something that surely someone from Stripe you know, teams of people had to consider what products are we really going to allow ourselves to be associated to. And the fact that the vast majority of them are on Solana um, I, I've had this speculation that, that, that big tech, they, they see what's happening in crypto, that they're not unaware to it, but they're working behind the scenes. And this is more than evidence to it. You know, you talked about the ease of how you can be integrated. 
um, I don't want to say it's copy and paste. It's more like you have a couple of settings you need to tune, but it's 10 lines of code to be able to integrate this into what you're putting together. That is game changing. Um, I, I, I had the pleasure of being in the e-com industry whenever we had to throw together um, these clunky WordPress sites. And, you know, on occasion, you, you, would, you, you might put together your own payment processor. It was a total pain. And you'd find these solutions that were supposed to be out of the box, but they cost tens of thousands of dollars and still wouldn't really work. And when Stripe really swept across the industry, um, that led to the revolution that then not only brought us Shopify and a, a wave of e-com, but that's what accelerated Facebook advertising. You saw Amazon um, blow up a whole lot because now people could take their stuff and it could be transacted easier. People saw that. They made their own, made their own site, even more visibility. Uh, and that turned into a, I mean, e-com native type culture we have now. So when I take a look at what's happening here, that now it's just as easy to integrate crypto onboarding into any type of application with the same ease of use as what it was to integrate a shopping cart back then. And the fact that Solana is on the front stage of that, we don't see a whole lot of e-commerce applications. I know there was uh, a couple of products that tried it. Timing really isn't right. Product market fit isn't there at the moment. But I think this is taking us to where it's, it, it's, it's not quite as sexy as what we may have seen during the bull run in terms of mass user adoption instantaneously, billions of dollars flowing in. But in my opinion, this is the kind of stuff that gives us a strong foundation as an ecosystem to showcase that we have real transaction volume, uh, revenues being generated. And on top of that, what's going to be able to be built on top of this? Because this is a wide array of different types of projects. We're going to be seeing new use cases of how people can take fiat money into crypto, do something with it, and then when we start talking about offboarding solutions, which you and I both know is something that's becoming more and more accessible, especially from projects uh, like what we're doing at Streamflow, it's, it's the kind of situation where once these dots connect, I'm excited to see what it puts up together. A hundred percent. And you can, maybe we'll see, uh, you know, the, the exchanges not being these guardians into the DeFi world anymore because we have these really slick, low fee on ramps. I haven't checked the fees for Stripe, um, but I assume that the fees will go down as more and more competitors come into the market. Um, and, you know, in terms of doing e-commerce on chain, uh, like check out projects like decaf, uh, decaf underscore SO who are working on using Solana Pay to have really easy checkout. Um, and I used it at Breakpoint to buy a, a hat and it was like an instantaneous experience. And actually, in some ways, I can see, you know, it finally clicked for me where you can imagine a like a, a tablet at the front of a co coffee store, for example, and it has the it, it has the um, the QR code immediately. So you make your order, QR code pops up, the person goes away to do their things. They don't have to like pass you a, a card reader. They don't have mm -hmm. to do any of that kind of stuff. You, you just have your tablet there on the user can easily pay. Uh, and it, it's immediate. So it's like, uh, it's hard to see how it doesn't gain adoption as we go forward, especially because the shops will be saving, I don't know, 1% or something on every transaction. Like it's Absolutely. a no brainer at some point. One of the yeah. things that's super interesting is it's, uh, this, the, the, the cost savings is a big part to it where you might have two to 3% plus using Stripe or PayPal while with crypto, we're talking pennies. At the same time, I, I would argue that that's um, even a smaller pain point compared to the control of money that happens with traditional payment processors. Um, one of the big challenges that is just ruthless across um, not just e-commerce, but small business as well, is if you're using Stripe, if you're using PayPal, at any moment, they can freeze those funds for um, various different types of security checks, as they call it. It can be usually as short as maybe a week or two but it can also be two to three months. So if you're a small business owner, let's say you're running a yoga studio, you have everything being processed through Stripe to make it as simple and smooth as possible. And, and you have three months or two months or an, uh, an amount of your entire revenues locked up, that can severely limit your ability to um, the, 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 the most, the, the biggest issue is when it's a seasonal situation. 
you know, Black Friday is coming up, you need to bring in some serious ad spend and now your capital is locked up. So crypto makes it to where that's not possible anymore. That is instant settlement. You get paid daily as an e-com store, which means that you can reinvest in the advertising as a small business owner. You can reinvest back into whatever outreach that you're doing. And that now provides a competitive advantage. So you're looking at cost savings, you're looking at risk mitigation, and you're looking at the ability to get in leg up over your competition. And then on top of that, you have a great user experience. So I think we're seeing the early yeah, days. hundred percent. We're never going to win with like soft, fluffy, um, you know, ideas of decentralization. It has to just be a better product at the end of the day yeah. for the average user. And that's, and that's, and to, you know, bring it back to this talking point, like that, that is the benefit of seeing Stripe, a really well-respected company, um, shipping this new feature, the more we see that, the more it all becomes better and better and better and more like the less, um, you know, the less blockages, the more the blockages are removed, the more everything can, um, you know, be transferred really freely and really liquidly, liquidly, <laughs> like liquid, uh, the better. So let's move on here. Another big announcement this week from, a, you know, one of the strongest teams on Solana, uh, Phantom Wallet, they've done a lot for adoption on Solana with their really clean UX. So they've announced that they will have impending support for Ethereum and Polygon. I think there's not too much to talk about here because this was known for a long time. They've been working on it for a good six months, I would say, maybe longer. Um, so, you know, it's on my side, I, I'm curious to see how Phantom is adopted on, on the other side. Uh, if, if people welcome them or if they prefer to stick with MetaMask, uh, I'm always shocked at how much MetaMask doesn't seem to actually make many improvements or changes. So I do expect Phantom to do well on, on Ethereum and Polygon. Yeah, I'm interested to see how, how many people test out Solana and play with it. Um, yeah. I, I've been through both uh, Ethereum ecosystem, Solana ecosystem, was pretty deep in Polygon at a point, and it's something that the friends I made on Ethereum, a lot, they're not that excited to dive into Solana. It's almost like there's this narrative that can kind of push people away from trying it. But I, yeah. I have yeah. a feeling that when it becomes easier, to pour it on over, try it out. I think that'll begin to change because I know yeah. when I ask people in Solana, why did you start using Solana? Typically the story is the experience of using an app, whatever it might be. For me was I compared what using Aave was where I got smacked with a $150 fee to try to pull capital out. And then I went into Solana using Solend and just instantly was able to go in there, take care of my business, get in, get out. And then I hop over into Mango, was able to start playing with perps. And it was just insane to me how quickly I could navigate between things, how I, I felt I can do such more interesting things. I, I think this is something where maybe the news itself isn't that big, but this is something where as projects, we can start to look at how do we think in terms of interoperability, not just from a technology standpoint, but from a mindset, what can we do to make it to where it's more interesting to try our stuff out to test it out and what are we actually doing that's adding value to the ecosystem not just solana but blockchain and crypto as a whole yeah 100 percent. and we'll have to see in six months or so once they release or three months like what kind of effect they're having and if if people from other chains become interested in solana through phantom or not um but yeah we'll see how that how that goes uh, and the next one is DeFi is starting to open back up for business on solana so after the FTX implosion, you would have noticed that a number of protocols on Solana went uh, basically turned off to avoid any kind of uh, issues for users, user funds. Um, but we're happily seeing them start to come back. So we saw Zeta, uh, Zeta Markets saying that they're at 97% about to restart, perps first, then options. We saw Tulip is back open for business. They're welcoming back farmers, as they said. Uh, Camino Finance from the Hubble team is also back open. Uh, so it seems like things are starting to get back on track and be back open for business. Uh, you love to see it? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's been uh, quiet and a kind of a sad time, not just from what's happened, but uh, not having access to these markets that are open. I can see how it's... Um, we definitely have something special in here in Solana. One of the things I'm interested to see is how quickly the liquidity comes back. That's one of those pieces I think that 
turning the apps back on, you know, especially now that they've been able to remove Serum, we've got Open Serum, Open Book, we've got these various initiatives to give us a, a truly decentralized market-making tool. Um, at the same time, though, bringing the liquidity back, I think, is going to require a a new a new generation of creativity, similar to how Solana came out swinging with beautiful UX, amazing ecosystem coordination, and that helped to attract a lot of the community we have now. I think when it comes to DeFi, we've got to look at being able to essentially reinvent ourselves as an ecosystem. And I know in this upcoming campaign, uh, keep calm and build on. That's one of the biggest things that we're talking about is to find out what are you guys doing next? What are you doing different? What can we do better since we're already having to rebuild? Yeah, I mean, we didn't touch on that, but the the tokenomics from a lot of the FTX projects were not very friendly to retail. Um, so it'll be interesting to see once a lot of the strong projects on Solana, like Jupiter, Drift, um, just to name a couple, who don't, which don't have tokens, uh, once they actually release, you know, how that how are their tokenomics going to look? Is it going to be much more friendly? Yeah, it's a it's a really tough time for DeFi. You will have noticed that the whole time that DeFi has been kind of collecting itself. Actually, NFTs have been humming. <laughs> the NFT world is, you know, going Maybe, fine. Yeah, yeah um, I've noticed that. Actually, so, I've spent more time in the NFT community now that DeFi has been uh, yeah. moved down. Yeah, it's 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 interesting having like an ecosystem with multiple different gears because you have different speeds at any one time. So you mentioned Open Book. Do you want to briefly introduce what Open Book is? Yeah, so I am... Uh... I can say that I am not very technical. I'm very much a student when it comes to understanding the the depths of how these work. But what I can say in, in completely layman's terms, when techies listening, uh, pre-warning, it, it's something where these back end of many of these DeFi protocols requires an understanding of not only what liquidity is available, but to be able to facilitate the transactions between everybody on the platform. There was a tool that was used previously called Serum that it was one of the first that really became widely adopted in the ecosystem. This was a project that was um, very much largely backed by SBF and FTX, and it just became the industry standard. It was simple. It got the job done and it was widely accepted. So other people used it. It was never really intended to be the end all be all solution of this this transaction coordination machine that most of these DeFi products built on, it's just something that everyone used it. So with SBF out, it became something where they immediately shut everything down to ensure that if there was any sketchy business going on behind the scenes, it wouldn't be possible for anything from the FTX to affect their applications. That was a great move to protect users and to ensure that everything continued to run smoothly. Um, fortunately, the code, it, it was available. So they were able to fork it uh, because it was open source and then go in and essentially rebuild it and to put it together in a way that not only can have a, a novel, not novel, but a fresh tokenomic structure where previously, you know, Serum was based off the Serum token. In this case here, now we can get creative and discuss, is it going to be its own token? Is it going to be on Solana? Are we, how are we going to set up, um, the, the governance of this? It's something where we get to take a fresh approach to how do we make DeFi not only um, useful, like <laughs> effective, like it will do what you expect it to, but how can we improve upon it? And in the open book uh, community, it's something that it's very open. It's very welcoming. I mean, I saw that the Twitter explode to thousands of followers within a matter of like a week and a half or something. And even now, when you look inside of the community chats, it's just blowing up with developers and engineers that are just going back and forth on how to create the best systems. It, it, it's one of those things that despite a tough time in the industry, it's really exciting to see what's happening. But with this open book move, I, I, I'm geeking out a bit because if this is really done right, the, the back end to how DeFi works, it could lead to a, in my opinion, an even bigger wave of new DeFi applications and protocols because we have it to where now we can have easier adoption because people can understand that because this is completely getting built in public out in the open. On top of that, we're able to optimize and refine the functionality of it specifically to the use case of how DeFi applications are now and where they're going. So it's an exciting time for it. It sucks that Sam fell, but I'm glad that we're going with OpenBook now. Yeah, that's a really good point that it did feel like the Serum development was not 
super active. I didn't follow it closely, but if we have this really open source, uh, open book, I've seen like the Mango devs are working on it. I saw Soju from Solend. I've seen a few different people from different teams collaborating. And I think in some ways the open book is like the best of Solana. You know, you see people really collaborating well, they're working together. They have the user's best interests at heart. It's transparent. And, you know, here, just some numbers in the last 24 hours, uh, open book did 300,000 in volume. Serum did $300. So Serum is effectively dead. Um, and OpenBook is, I think, the fourth uh, largest volume already, with Orca having four million. So that's pretty impressive. In in a couple of weeks, OpenBook has been spun up. It's already doing 300k in volume uh, in a, in a day, and 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 it's the fourth largest. And and if you play around on Jupiter, you'll see that it's being used for some of your swaps partially. So really really great great uh good news story on solana open book and we will we'll, we'll be watching them closely so andy we're just about to um finish up here would you like to i know you've been following closely this chat gpt3 uh topic do you want to just briefly give give people a little uh, a little window into this topic yeah sure it's um give, this is definitely something i can geek out on uh ai is a fast moving industry similar to crypto and web3 and while GPT-3 came out a couple of years ago, you saw like the animation of the robot talking and saying <laughs> questionable things about humanity. And that's like old school. It's, a, it's an open AI, open AI uh, initiative, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So it was originally yeah. open in the sense of Elon Musk actually was the one to put this together, saying that artificial intelligence is a existential risk to humanity. We need to have something that can put this in the hands of people. That didn't end up being where OpenAI went, and now it's gone back to being controlled by, uh, let's just call it big tech. At the same time, though, they have shared a good bit of this. You can license it, um, and you can create some really impressive things. At the same time, what they release to the public is years behind what they're working on in the background. So just this last week, they released a, it, it's not a full GPT-3 upgrade, but it's a piece of the next iteration of the AI GPT-4 that is speculated to be coming out this next year. That's a very big deal because when you're talking about AI, it's not a 2x, 3x type improvement in effectiveness that you see. In the world of artificial intelligence, you're typically looking at thousands. You know, we're talking multiple orders of magnitude, larger, um, not, not just expansiveness of what it can do, but how it, but, but, the, um, the ease of use of this. So what it used to be with GPT-3 is you would give it a prompt, you'd ask it a question, and it can give you maybe two or three sentences. After three sentences, this response has got super sketchy. You can string them all together and get something of a coherent message, but it could then usually get a little bit off. Now with chat GPT, you can ask it, what's the difference between Solana or Ethereum? What should I look, you know, how does this technology work? Today I was playing with it with uh, Molly Shah, our founder, and uh, we, were, we were asking it, describe multi-party computation like I'm five. And, and I've heard a lot of scientists talking about what the heck is multi-party computation and why would anybody care? And this robot, within a matter of seconds, gave a description that was more coherent than anything I've seen. But you can go from that on the science side all the way to um, just make a rap, uh, a 90s style rap about Solana. And then it will go and create a rhyme that actually kind of slaps. So it's like, this thing is not only able to gather knowledge and describe it in a way that I would, uh, I would say is better than humans. I, I know I worked with a lot of copywriters when I worked in marketing. Um, it would require a team of people 10, 20 people, if I want to get this kind of breadth of ability to get this type of content. It, it doesn't mean it's going to write the next epic, you know, the next Odyssey or something. But the fact that this is what they're giving away for free as a beta, and it's only trained on two years of data. It only knows 2021 and 2022. And even with the data that it does knows, it's still limited. So to imagine what happens when they have GPT-4 come out, and what kind of applications would be built on it. It's one of those situations where I know our audience is probably gonna be mostly crypto web three uh, enthusiasts, 
but artificial intelligence is something that for sure we should not be sleeping on because anything we do on a computer now, searching for information, writing up documents, managing projects, um, all of it will be transformed. Anybody see Mid Journey and uh, these different AI um, images and AI videos? Once again, that's just the start because this next iteration, this next generation of AI, we're talking a hundred times higher levels of competency to where it, it, it sounds a bit nuts to think about, but in the next couple of years, the same way we can give a prompt and it'll can spit out four to six images that are in 4K quality, we can likely start looking at a couple of years from now, seeing 4K video, seeing video games, seeing the full potential of human creativity being unleashed upon the world. And I'd personally like to see it on chain. And if I can, if, if I can, if I can be choosy, I'd love to see that on the Solana mobile device, because I think that's where we can really see um, a true freedom of, 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 of creative expression. Absolutely. And on that note, it brings our, our first inaugural Portside episode to a close. Thanks a bunch, Andy. For folks who want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? Yeah, yeah. So on Twitter, I am win underscore and help underscore win. Or just look up Andy Data Guy. And uh, for any builders that are you know interested in the Solana, uh, Solana ecosystem, if you have a project, if you're working on a project, I'd love to chat with you. We're doing a campaign where just to take some of the focus off of freaking Sam Bankman Freed and to focus back on what's important, which is the cool stuff that we're making happen. Uh, we're going to do a podcast similar to this. And what I'm going to be doing is researching your project and what you're doing in your industry and just learn more about, well, what have you experienced? What are you working on? What achievements have you made this year? And what are you excited for coming up in this next year? And we'll break that up into clips and share it across the internet, Twitter and YouTube. So that way we can arm our communities with a bit more ammunition to help fight the fight. That sounds like exactly the right time for that initiative. Thanks, Andy, and uh, I'll catch you soon. Sounds great. Bye for now, man. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a review if you're feeling generous. And I'd also like to give a brief reminder that nothing said on the podcast is financial advice. My views are my own. And when navigating crypto, remember that you are responsible for your own assets and always do your own research.